I'm Mindy Peterson, and this is Enhanced Life with Music, a look at music's effect on our everyday lives. Today's topic is a term I had never heard before a recent conversation with today's guest, and that term is trauma-informed music education. Joining me today from Hershey, Pennsylvania is David Knott. David describes his job as the sweetest band gig on earth. (laughs) He is the director of all middle division band activities at Milton Hershey School. David is a professional percussionist, conductor, and educational leadership advocate. Welcome to Enhance Life with Music, David. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm Excited to be here and and talk about this topic and share some insights and hopefully uh, bring value to your listeners and maybe create a new audience for this this concept of trauma-informed music education. I'm looking forward to learning more about it. As I mentioned, I had never heard the term until we were on the phone recently and and you mentioned it. And I was like, wait, what? What is that? Well, Uh, it's interesting because it's not really um, specifically a music ed term. It, it, It can be used in all different fields. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's really, it's uh, embracing many different fields, many um, different avenues and has such, such reach for, for people to, to use. Okay. So there's sort of an umbrella of trauma informed education, and we're talking about sort of a subset under that of trauma informed music education. Correct. And trauma informed can even be applied to healthcare. It can be implied to <sighs> law enforcement. Um, anything that embraces trauma informed is understanding that the people you're working with have with them some sort of background that you don't understand. That some maybe pre-existing traumas that they've experienced, uh-huh. and you start looking at uh, the people that you're working with through a slightly different lens and create kind of this paradigm shift that behaviors aren't necessarily caused just by the person. It could be more focused on what has happened to the person. Ah, oh, interesting. Now, when we were on the phone re- uh, recently, you were talking about the adverse childhood experience study. Right. Tell us a little bit about that and its relationship to trauma-informed education or trauma-informed anything. Oh, sure. This is uh, really the breakthrough study. Um, the CDC and uh, the Kaiser Institute did a study, um, it's like in the, the mid to late 90s, I think it was around 1995, and it spanned, a, spanned, spanned it was a couple of years. Um, and what it looked at were different adverse childhood experiences, hence ACE, your adverse okay. childhood experience. And that's and it, from age birth through 18? Or are we talking about pre-birth? Uh, you could, some of it could be involved in pre-birth because, you know, the prenatal and, and how the life of the mother prior to the birth could, you know, would definitely impact some of these things uh, that come through. But um, this study was over like 17,000 members participated in an initial exam. And um, what this, the adverse childhood experiences questions, uh, they all involve things about different types of abuse. So physical, emotional, or sexual abuse, um, neglect, either physically or emotional neglect, and household dysfunction questions, like were you um, living with someone who was mentally abusive, or did your parents divorce, or was there a high substance abuse? 
Um, and even the, even now the study goes on to include things like poverty or uh, racial abuse or racism or school bullying. All these different things um, can have an impact on a child and impact their brain growth and leads to maybe other things that are going to impact their life down the road. Mm-hmm. And are these yes and no questions? Like, did your parents divorce when you were Correct. age 18? It's, it's either a one for yes, zero for no. And then they take the score out of the, the 10 primary questions. Oh, okay. What are some of the other questions? Uh, well, so the, the basic questions will be, were you ever physically abused in your home? Did you now, ever- people who are answering this questionnaire... Do they are they given a definition of physical abuse? Because I would think people who have experienced it may have a somewhat different description or definition of it than people who haven't. Uh, some of the questions go a little bit into you know, detail, showing some of you know giving some ideas and suggestions to help um, identify it. But I don't think if I, the questions really want to lead anywhere. Yeah, I guess what my point was, is if you've grown up with verbal abuse, you may not know any different. And you may think of it as normal and not as abuse. Sure. And I think that's where one of the things with with this is it's not an it's not an exact question. But um, like it, 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 one of the questions will be, did you ever witness your mother being physically abused? Mm-hmm. It's a pretty straight ahead question. Yeah. Um, were yeah. you ever um some they dealt with not having food. Mm. And so they're, they're pretty straight ahead questions. It's really just answering a one or a zero to the point where there's there's almost no middle ground to the question. Okay. And there's some significance with answering yes to four or more of the questions. Is that right? Well, right. All of these questions and the results of the questions can show uh, and predict some happenings with the people that are being studied. Uh if you have more than three or more questions, you're more likely to be in a result of high toxic stress in your life, which leads to brain damages or brain development being slowed. Um, it leads to different health consequences, both short and long term. Um, things like autoimmune disease, arthritis, heart disease, types of cancer can be traced back to people with these different adverse childhood experiences. That's pretty huge that a traumatic experience, say a mentally or an emotionally traumatic experience, can affect your immunity or your susceptibility to heart disease. That's what you're saying, right? Right. Um, There's a great TED Talk, and we can obviously include this in the the show notes, but uh, Dr. Nadine Burke Harris did a TED Talk about adverse childhood experiences Mm -hmm. and really goes into some detail to help explain some of that. Mm -hmm. So one of the other interesting things about this is this type of trauma can even have genetic consequences. So if it's not something that can have an intervention and healed, if you will, you can pass that on into your children's DNA. Mm. So the traumas that you experience as a child could be passed on to your next generation, Mm. even if you're not putting your children in the same environment. So it's really an important thing for us to understand is as educators, music educators, conductors, especially with our younger students, that when they're coming into our lessons, into our rehearsals, we don't need to add to stress they already are experiencing in their other in their lives. 
that's really, I think, the, the thing that we can take away is um, we may not be the vehicle or the cause for the, the adverse childhood experience, but we can be the intervention. And studies have shown that even just one positive intervention can begin to break the cycle of the adverse childhood experiences. Wow. So being, um, before we keep going, tell me what do you know what percentage of the US population falls into this category of experiencing childhood trauma to the point where they would be getting a score of four or more on the ACE study or that ACE questionnaire, adverse sure, childhood experience. Sure. Yeah, yeah. The um the study that the CDC did uh, found that about 61% of adults surveyed on uh, that survey encompassed 25 states reported they had re- experienced at least one type of adverse child experience and one in six reported that they had four or more of those experiences wow. in their lives. Wow. So 61% reported at least, at least one. one. Okay. Well, I guess if you think about even just the divorce question, I mean, if you think about the rate of divorce, that would make sense. And then one in six people in the United States are coming up with a score of four or more. I mean, that's pretty significant. Absolutely. If you think about one in six people that you rub shoulders with, whether it's at work or in a classroom setting in your neighborhood, um, any kind of community group, right. what are what are some of those other associated risks that are, go along with answering yes to four or more of those questions? Well, the different risks that come with it is, again, your immune system is comp- can become compromised. You're going to have trouble with... Um, fighting off diseases your, and your health consequences, your your brain development can be altered or slowed because of the the stress that you're that you're enduring from that. And there's other health associations that have come along with it. And okay, like I said, it it comes down to lots of different things, and it's even expanding out. More recent studies are talking about how being in poverty, as I said, or or dealing with. Um, you know, social abuse at school, whether it be, you know, racial or just general bullying can have similar effects on children. Wow. So how do you apply this knowledge and this information in a way that helps students or young people who have experienced trauma? Well, you know, as music educators, and and all educators too, but as music educators, we, we see kids often for longer periods of time than maybe a core class. So if you're a seventh grade math teacher, you have them for seventh grade. But if you're a middle school music educator like me, I have kids from fifth through eighth grade. So mm-hmm. I have four years worth of, of time with students. Mm-hmm. And one of the key things to becoming trauma-informed is understanding that we want to start by helping students feel safe and in trusting relationships. So just building a great sense of trust with your students where they know that they're valued, that they're seen as people, and you approach them that everything that they bring to your table isn't necessarily just a behavior. It can also be the result of something we don't understand. And we change our paradigm shift to, oh, this kid isn't practicing. What's wrong with him? To this kid isn't practicing. Let's figure out why. Okay. Can you walk us through a hypothetical scenario, whether it's the practicing idea or something else? Oh, sure. We can make you know, a hypothetical could be mm-hmm. 
Well, let's look at the situation that we're currently in. We're dealing with a lot of COVID-related things at schools. And, you know, you could have students coming into your classroom and not many places are having ensembles anymore uh, in the same way. They don't look the same. You're not seeing 100 kids in, the, in your room anymore. And now you maybe have a kid who's been great for three years with you and now they're in a more of a one-on-one situation and they start acting out. So an old school thought would be that, you know, little Davey Knotts being a brat today, what's his problem? Mm -hmm. But the paradigm shift would be, hey, maybe this COVID thing and now David's playing the trumpet alone in his room uh, and there's no one else to blend in with or help make the, the sound feel less exposed. Maybe he's feeling uncomfortable because of this new situation. So we, we, you know, we can look at the bigger picture as opposed to just what happened with this kid. What's his problem? Yeah. So then to take it to the next step, do you have the opportunity to talk one-on-one with little Davey and kind of figure out what's going on? Well, that's, a, that's the big part with, the, with this, this paradigm shift to becoming more trauma-informed or just more kid-focused or kid-centered is, is you make that time. You know, you, okay. you, you schedule a time with the kid or maybe you just stop the lesson and say, hey, what's going on? I mean, I did, mm-hmm. I did that today with a couple of kids. They just weren't uh, coming in with the same, the same energy. And I was like, hey, what's going on today? And they, you know, they, talk, they told a little bit of their story. And so we, we pivoted. We, you know, pulled out a different lesson book and just did something different to, to kind of get the creative energy going. And mm-hmm. when we get in these stresses, you know, we're not working from the same place in our brain. You know, we're working more in that fight or flight area. So we're asking kids musically to be highly creative. But if they're worried about where the next meal's coming from, mm-hmm. they might not want to sit down and, and play their scales for you. Yeah. Well, I imagine this information can be especially helpful in certain situations because, I mean, obviously some schools are going to have a much higher or lower percentage of kids who have experienced trauma than others. You know, some schools are in fairly well-to-do areas. Some schools have a much higher percentage of students who are on, say, the free and reduced lunch. Um, Tell us a little bit about the population that you're working most closely with right now or about the school that you're working in. Yeah, thanks for that opportunity. Uh, the Milton Hershey School is it's a wonderful school. Uh, it's a private boarding school, and it was formed by Milton and Catherine Hershey in 1909. And Milton and Catherine Hershey uh, could not have children, so they left the Milton Hershey fortune into a trust, a self-sustaining trust for originally orphan boys to come to school. And this has expanded over over the years to uh, become uh, one of the top boarding schools in the country. And it serves low-income families from pre-K up through high school. And then the students, while they're here in high school, actually accrue money to help them with college. Mm-hmm. And so we even have a part of our school that is uh, associated with students who graduate and associated with ensuring their success at the collegiate level. But everything's provided for them at no cost to the families. Okay. And it's completely funded by the Hershey estate? It's funded by the uh, the trust from the, the chocolate company. Okay. Um, this isn't exactly correct, but the way I tell it to my friends, the quick answer is 51 cents of a, a Hershey bar kind of helps the school. 
I mean, that's mm. not the real math, but it kind of gives okay. you an idea. Okay, so it's set up in such a way that it's sustaining. I mean, it's right. self-sustaining it's- through this the trust fund and trust organization through okay. the company. Yes. Oh, interesting. So what percentage uh, would you say of students that you encounter on a regular basis would answer yes to four or more of those questions? I imagine it's more than just one out of six. You know, I think every student that comes to Milton Hershey has a story mm-hmm. um, and they're all unique and they're all special. And I, I couldn't even speculate on what their numbers are. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I mean, the fact that the students that come to us are coming from lower income, we, we know that there's different challenges that they face. Mm-hmm. And us as teachers, we have this great opportunity to, to help break their cycles and help be an intervention to them and, and build great relationships and bonds with them. And, and I get to show them through the arts how to find a great creative voice. Tell us about the project you've done with students called In the Key of Me. This was a fun project that we did last year. Uh, Unfortunately, the COVID stuff shut us down, so we didn't get to completely culminate the project. Mm. Uh, But what this project was, it was part of our social-emotional learning, which ties in with trauma-informed education. And this was a year-long project where um, we took the idea of taking the kids and finding out their different backgrounds and how they identified themselves historically, culturally. And then we had them research through my help, we give them guidelines, different composers and different types of music based on who they were as people. So we had, you know, uh, Native Americans, Asians, African Americans, um, people from Haiti, Bahamas, Mm -hmm. and however they identified their uh, historical origins. Um, One girl said her country of origin was Texas. So we had (laughs) this wide variety of really interesting uh, responses. And so then we led them towards music that was in that style. So we have a lot of students who identify with Cuba. So we found, you know, music that would be related to Cuba. One of the mm-hmm. kids, you know, they wanted to play the song Havana. So we put that into rotation and then we let the students pick music based on their ensemble for age appropriate. So we gave them a bunch of pieces to choose from. We played through them, rehearsed them a little bit, and then we whittled them down to uh, what would be on their concert. So that way we kind of made the concert program evolve from being masterworks for middle school band, you know, your grade Mm -hmm. one and a half to grade two and a half and threes. Mm -hmm. Um, So we stayed in there, but we let the music be more representative of who they were, not necessarily the people that you're getting through your composing houses, you know, your Hal Leonard, your Uh W. Peppers, those types of places, your standard rep. We We wanted to let the music be something that they identified with. Did you see much of a difference in response to them playing that repertoire compared to, say, the the standards? Well, it's interesting. You know, quarter notes are still quarter notes. Mm -hmm. People still miss a dotted eighth note type rhythm. So Mm -hmm. when we got into the nitty gritty, it was still a lot of the same type of rehearsing. But what I did notice was the elevated interest in the students in the programming process of putting things together. Um, Our younger ensemble picked a piece, uh, an Asian piece, and 
for many of them, it was the first time they got to hear, a, you know, a gong. Mm. So when we got to that part in the piece, you know, the, the percussionists know it's going to happen. And for the first time we get there and the kid plays this little, well, it wasn't a little gong solo. It was a nice forte gong hit <laughs> to have that moment where the fifth and sixth graders just stop and we can have this moment of laughter and, oh, what is that? And, you know, the kids having the opportunity to pick those things and be involved in that. Um, sure. Well, really and I cool. imagine when they're in their 20s and 30s and older and they're looking back, they're probably going to remember, boy, when I was in seventh grade, this is the song that we played. <laughs> right, right. The, the traditional standard repertoire, kids will probably right. be like, oh, I was in band. I don't remember much else. <laughs> right. They might not remember the piece that you played at, you know, county festival, but they might remember the kid who hit the gong really loud. Yeah, yeah. And it You've creates all- those connection and those, those just moments of, oh, that was, that was just fun. So they come back tomorrow. Yeah. You've also developed and you instruct a class at the University of the Arts in Philadelphia called the Tactical Social-Emotional Learning Class, or Tactical Integration of Trauma-Informed and SEL. It's kind of a long long title class, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I might need to to iterate that a bit. But essentially what it is, is the class is a tactical approach to SEL and trauma-informed music education. And you're teaching this to future teachers? I'm teaching this to current teachers as part of like summer music professional development. Oh, okay. Yes. And this is a class um, you can take in the summer through their professional development for graduate credit. And it was supposed to be live, but it evolved into um, an online iteration of the class. And the approach we take with this class is to look at what trauma-informed is, what SEL and the concepts for SEL are through the Castle Institute and the different breakdowns of that type of education. Then we look at common curricula that schools will adopt because there are multiple platforms that you can bring into your school to integrate, whether it be a trauma-informed school or an SEL school, and and other systems as well. And the reason we call it tactical is knowing that many times the things that the school is asking through the curriculum, you may need to slightly alter to fit into a rehearsal. So instead of stopping your orchestra rehearsal to, okay, today now we're going to teach you empathy, you look at standard lessons and then find a way to slightly alter them and shift them or to bring the concepts directly into your rehearsals. Many of these concepts that go along with the SEL type curriculums are things we're naturally able to do. They're natural fits to our curriculum. We just have to make an intentional decision to understand where we're going to purposefully lay them out instead of them just be a happy accident. Oh, look, we taught the kids to be nice to each other. Mm -hmm. What recommendations would you have to any teachers who are listening who are thinking, you know, I think I have some students who may fit into that category. They've probably experienced some trauma. And I'd really like to learn more about how I can help them through this and, and through use music education as a conduit to help these young people. What, what, what would you recommend? Well, I think the first thing that I'm going to recommend is think about the words you're using with students. You know, words have great impact. And sometimes mm-hmm. 
we we've probably have all experienced uh, a rehearsal with not such a nice conductor. <laughs> you know, yeah. I can I can remember. I have a graduate school story um, from a very famous conductor who was guest conducting, who spent twenty minutes yelling at my graduate school roommate about how he was playing the bass drum. Aww. He could have just said, "Hey, could you play it louder?" <laughs> sure. But it was twenty minutes. Aww. I have a I have another story of taking kids to a a district festival where the guest conductor again laid into the percussion section mm. and and was not nice to where my I remember my students who were in the front row playing flute looking at me like oh my gosh what is going on uh-huh. so the first thing i think we can do is as music educators is just remember to take a big breath before we go into any sort of why am i telling you that f sharp is the middle finger again because yeah, sometimes those things do get frustrating. So the words we use, those are so important. Uh, next thing I, I think I would recommend is understanding that rhythm and flow in your classroom is important to your students. So process, you know, what is your opening routines? Are there systems in place so that they, the students just feel comfortable and can predict what you're going to do in the classroom? Mm, goes back to that safety. Right, right. I mean, our classrooms, you know, the kids' names are on their lockers, so they know where their locker is. When they come into the rehearsal, when we've had, you know, rehearsals with 80 chairs in a room, mm-hmm. I put name cards on the chair every time. Mm-hmm. Now, my kids are younger. You know, maybe in the high school you don't feel that need to do that. But my view is I want that kid to know where his seat is or her seat is. Well, it's a reinforcement of you're meant to be here. This right. Is, this is your place. Ownership. Your place is here. Yeah, you have a folder with your name on it. Not just a folder, your name's there. It's mm-hmm. giving you that that sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. So those are some of my starting points, I would say. Great ideas. Well, I'll definitely put some links in the show notes to ways that listeners can connect with you and learn more about Milton Hershey's school. Uh, there's an article that you've written that is really helpful too. I'll include that. I ask all my guests to close out our conversation with a musical ending, a coda, by sharing a song or a story about a moment that music enhanced your life. Do you have a song or a story you can share with listeners today? Well, I I do. And the song I'm sharing is the song by Train, Drops of Jupiter. Mm -hmm. And the story behind that is just simply the fact uh, about four tours ago for Train, my daughter and I, who is now a music major in college, um, freshman, first year, She'll correct me. First year. And, <laughs> Is uh, that a thing? I didn't that's, know that. That's a thing, yes. It's, <laughs> oh, okay. First year students, because that includes transfer students, your first year on campus. Oh, okay. And um, But we were able to get tickets for this concert in Hershey at the stadium, and we had a great time. And the next year, they came around again on another tour, and we went. Um, and we've seen every tour since. So we've seen four with them. We got to travel to Philly to see them with... Uh, Hall and Oates at Hoagie Fest at the the pier in Philly that's no longer open. And yeah. we saw them up in Scranton. Um, that was so close as they came the last time. And the point of the story is it's great to remember that music is meant to bring joy. It can bring all types of emotion. But sometimes it's nice just to remember for all of us that are professional musicians, there was a point when it brought us happiness 
Mm-hmm. And it wasn't the daily grind. And I got to, I got to get this run because we got this big recording session coming up. Mm. Don't forget that music did, does make us happier. It did at one time. And it's always good to celebrate those moments. Ah, yeah, definitely value and just experiencing joy for the sake of joy. <laughs> yes, for sure. And that is a little bit of Trine's Drops of Jupiter from their YouTube video. You can view the entire video in the show notes. A huge thanks to David for sharing with us today. I took a look at the TED Talk he referenced by Dr. Nadine Burke Harris, and it was phenomenal. It gave me chills. It's 15 minutes long. If you have any interest at all in the trauma-informed approach or the implications of childhood trauma, I highly recommend watching this TED Talk. The link is in the show notes. As David was talking, I was thinking about comments my dad makes regularly. Whenever one of his kids or grandkids does something to make him proud, he always jokes, aren't you glad I gave you such great DNA? Well, there is truth to that, Dad. I have a lot to thank you for. Speaking of thanks, this week in the U.S., we celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday on Thursday. I saw a great post on Facebook this past week. It was, best quote for 2020, this is not the year to get everything you want. This is the year to appreciate everything you have. I thought that was great perspective. As I celebrate Thanksgiving this week, one of the things I am thankful for is you, my Enhanced Life with Music community of guests and listeners and collaborators. My life is enriched by meeting you and hearing from you, interacting with you, and being inspired by you. Thank you. I wish you all a meaningful and refreshing Thanksgiving, however you end up celebrating. And as you go through your week, remember that one in six people you interact with may have experienced significant trauma that is coloring their behavior. Thank you so much for joining me today. Until next week, may your life be enhanced with music.